Brotherhood, multiplication, restoration. We are Sin Network. We're a family planting churches together. Journey with us as we hear from church planters all across North America, discovering what it really takes to plant churches everywhere for everyone. This week, I'm with Vance Pittman in Las Vegas, Nevada to talk about Hope Church, where he served since 2001. So, finally, <laughs> in your spot, in your place, That's right. here, Vegas, loving it. It's my city, man. Yeah. I've been trying to get you out here forever. It's yeah, about it, it, time. It has. It has. I told time. you, as soon as you invited me when the Lakers were doing their, <laughs> yeah. their thing, I was, I'm here. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's always the timing is, That's right. is off. And That's everything. right. But, I mean, you have a beautiful campus. God's been really good to us. It's kind of, you know, you sit here today and it's it's a journey. But um, before we were here, we met in nine different locations mm -hmm. in the city. We've been here since 2012. But before then, nine different locations just moving around and around. So it was kind of like the joke was always, we're like the children of Israel wandering around the desert. Come if you can find us. Man. But yeah, we've been here now and God's been good to us and we're very grateful. Nine different locations. Mm -hmm. How many over? How many years is that? Now? Uh, that would have been over eleven years. Over eleven years. Yeah, so, nine, nine spots. So you've been in Vegas for how long? Eighteen years. How did you get here? Because like, <laughs> I mean, I know you are. You're like an Bama fan. Uh, born and raised. Like yeah. Born I mean, and raised like, in yeah. Alabama. Uh, yeah, getting here, you know, when I, I joke and tell people all the time where I grew up, people don't go to Las Vegas, and if they do, they don't tell anybody. Because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where I'm from, they don't think Las Vegas is hell, but they yeah. think you can smell it from here. So <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, this is not the place I grew up coming to. But uh, yeah, I was in Alabama, came to Christ as a freshman in college, surrendered ministry, started pastoring churches, um, and went through a season of brokenness in my life. And in that season of brokenness, began to be discipled by God. Uh, named Clyde Cranford that really poured in me mm -hmm. this principle of pursuing Christ's life in the Gospels. Just not that you read the Gospels exclusively, but in reading the Gospels, more than just the historicity and the mm -hmm. theology of the death, burial, and resurrection, which obviously is foundational yeah, to our faith, yeah. but there's so much that we can learn about Jesus and how he lived, understanding that the Christian life is not me living for him, but him literally living through me. Yeah. So you read the Gospels looking for the life of Christ. And I was doing that one morning came to a passage where Jesus said this. He said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Hmm. And when I read it that morning, I saw three things in Jesus. I saw a passion. He said, I must. It was a passion for the kingdom of God, mm -hmm. which I didn't really even know much about at that yeah. point. And then a passion for other cities the kingdom to be expanded right. in other cities. And then this Vegas, just so, kind of a neon sign in Vegas. Yeah, that's right, like, that's right. Well, the next, like, like the the next verse said Las Vegas. You know? <laughs> uh, but no, my wife and I just prayed, said, Lord, yes. We thought we were going overseas. Hmm. Um, and two weeks later, Johnny Hunt, pastor at First Woodstock in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, approached me and said, Vance, our church feels led of the Lord to start a church in the fastest growing city in, in America at that time. He said, and the, the city's Las Vegas, Nevada. And he said, God's put it on my heart here to be a pastor of that church. So two weeks earlier, we said yes. Two weeks later, God filled the blank with Las Vegas. And we actually began the process of moving here. And we we literally never visited here. We I'd never been west of the Mississippi River. Right. Oh, but we just knew so definitively God had called us if we did anything but begin the process of moving here. So we moved east first, moved to Woodstock, mm -hmm. believing churches okay. plant churches, okay. individuals don't. So you did a residency we of did. some sort? We okay. moved there for about a year, Yeah. built a team, and then they launched us out. We got here December 23rd, 2000. How many people came with you? Uh, we had myself and two other guys and their families were the original kind of team. Okay. And then we had also, over the first year, 
we had built relationships and recruited, and God had called 13 other families hmm. that sold their homes, left their jobs, came out here and got jobs in Vegas right. just to be missionaries in the city. And they arrived over the first 12 months. So is that about, is it a total of 15 families or is that 13? A uh, total of 16 families. So 16 families, mm-hmm. all from the South, moving to Vegas. That's it. But the Southerners come to Vegas. Bunch of Beverly Hillbillies. You know, Southern Baptist at its best. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Parachuting in. <laughs> That's us, man. Yeah. So how was that? Well, and here's what's crazy, too. It was a bunch of white, middle-class Southern Baptists. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was as, yeah. and, and now, you know, looking back, it's funny because I was telling you about our services Sunday I now pastor a church that is 54 languages, mm. extremely multi-ethnic, uh, multi-generational from all stratas of socioeconomic levels. Um, and to think that, you know, God could do that with a bunch of white yeah. dudes from the Bible Belt, from places like Alabama and Tennessee that are not historically known for yes. their multiculturalism, yes. is I told our church Sunday, it's a visible expression that this has always been the eternal redemptive plan of God. That's awesome. Because only the grace of God could do that. Well, you got to help me out. All right. Because like, if I had a dime for every time a white pastor yes. came to me and said, Dahadi, I need, I need some black people to help me <laughs> yeah. reach this demographic yeah. or reach my neighborhood's changing. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, like I, I reminded like, Oprah, you get a black person, you get a black person. <laughs> like, it's, it's kind of right. like, like I have them like in my back pocket. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. How does how did you make that transition? Because mm. you made it seem like it was just easy. Like, hey, we was a bunch of sixteen families moving into the mm. Las Vegas, a very diverse city, and we just became multi-ethnic. Yeah. I mean, there had to be some level of intentionality in that. So help me to help them. Yeah. You know, whenever I get that next call. Yeah. Well, to start with, I'd say, Heidi, mm. that I didn't I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I, I grew up in Alabama. I didn't know. I didn't even know there was such a thing as multi-ethnic church. Uh, so I didn't move here without on my radar. Okay. I didn't know the church was broken that I'd come from. Hmm. It took me getting in this context before I discovered that multi-ethnic church, multicultural church is not a new way of doing church. Yeah. It's the New Testament church. Yeah. What's happened is we've, in the, in the tendency of our flesh, we've begun to formulate churches more around the tendencies of our flesh than the centrality of the gospel. And that's got us so isolated and alienated. So we moved here. Here was our intentionality. Our intentionality was to engage the city with the gospel. Mm -hmm. Much of what's considered church planting in North America is not planting churches. It's starting worship services. And so instead of starting, but in Las Vegas, nobody wanted a worship service. Mm -hmm. So we could have started a great one, but nobody was coming. So, we knew from the beginning we had to engage the city with the gospel. So we were intentional about engaging the city with the gospel. And here's what I found. The gospel is no respecter of persons. Yeah. Our city is one of the most diverse cities in America. UNLV campus was just recognized by U.S. News and World Reports last year as the most diverse university campus in the United States. Look at you. You still got States. that church planted heart. Team. Come on, you baby. You still can speak. Hey, when you love yes. your city, yes. your city matters. Yes. Unfortunately, for too many pastors, all they think about is the church. Mm-hmm. But the church is not the goal. The church is the tool by which the kingdom is expanded in the city. And that's yeah. the goal, the, the kingdom of God being expanded in the city. So we start engaging the city. Mm-hmm. Well, when you engage a city with the gospel, guess what? The gospel doesn't just save white people. Yeah. The gospel saves all people. Yep. And we started having all people come to Christ and connect in fellowship. Then we woke up one day and went, wait a minute. Our leadership doesn't look like our people because mm-hmm. we were a bunch of white guys from the Bible Belt who all spoke with funny accents. And we had this church that was beginning to look like the nations. Mm-hmm. That's when 
we begin to go, wait a minute, this is something God's doing we didn't have on our radar. Yeah. Um, and so then, How far yeah, are you into the plant at that? Well, at the that very first night we gathered in my living room, we had 18 adults, because those right. 13 families all didn't get here at the beginning. Okay. So there were three families at the beginning. We had 18 adults the first night that we gathered in my living room, just beginning to make disciples out of people we'd met. Uh, and that night we had uh, two nationalities and three races just okay. among those 18 people. So it started then, but it was probably in about year two or three okay. that it dawned on us that, wait a minute, this doesn't look like the church we'd grown and up And how, how many people at that time were you? Because um, a lot of times it's hard when you, now you got this. Yep. When we were in year three, we would have been about somewhere between three and 500 people. Okay. So, and then... We moved into a, a facility that we then had our, our single biggest jump ever. We went from about 500 to about 1,000 people in about six months okay. in year four. So we'd have been about three to 500 people when we, because again, I just didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I just, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd never noticed it. But then all of a sudden one day I, I went, wait a minute, this church looks different. Right. Um, and was you as ethnically diverse then as you are now? No. Or once you became, no. it became increasing. So we engaged the city with the gospel and that bred some multi-ethnic ministry in our fellowship. But then we realized, wait a minute, we have a responsibility to now steward this. Mm -hmm. And so we began with really this kind of four things. Intentionality was a big part of okay. it. We wanted to make sure that in everything that we did, we were sensitive to obviously united in the gospel and mission, but celebrating the diversity of the people that God gave okay. us. So we started by being real intentional in, in, in what we did on stage and who we who we began to hire on staff. That's kind of what, you know, kind of yeah. where everybody starts. Yep. Like, okay, yep. here. But unfortunately, a lot of people do that to try to make it happen. Right. We were doing it in reaction to, to what, what God was doing. Yes. Um, so we wanted our church to be a reflect, our leadership to reflect our fellowship. Yep. So we started adding some people on staff. God brought a guy into my life. We've been together 15 years now, Teddy Johnson. Mm -hmm. Teddy's inner city Camden, New Jersey. Uh, born in as much of the hood as you could ever mm -hmm. want to be born in. Grew up single parent home. You know, mom uh, worked in a bar and uh, didn't know you know his dad. Well, I mean, just had a, that kind of life growing up. Um, God moved him here to Las Vegas. We met through a mutual friend, Randall Cunningham, yep. ex NFL player. Okay, I think he's dropped name dropping. Uh, well, I mean, sorry, Rand Randall's going. a pastor <laughs> yeah. here now, and so he just yeah, he's just awesome. one of us. Hey, um, you know, random side note. I mean, Randall was like my childhood like hero. He came in I'll 1986, up, 1986, coming in, Ron Jaworski, third down. There you go. So he would come in. He made me a Philadelphia Eagle fan because I used to play quarterback, you know, in there. And so I went to be like Randall Cunningham. I was going to be the throwing and running quarterback. Have you met him? No, I've never met him. Hey, see, we'll drive over and hey, come we'll on. go hey, see him. Because Teddy, te Randall came to Christ in the church Teddy was in in Camden, New Jersey. Okay. And so Randall and Teddy became like brothers. Mm. Randall played at UNLV. When Randall retired, he moved back here to start a Bible study. Teddy and his family moved with Randall. Teddy was leading worship for Randall when I met him. Our first meeting place outside my home was Randall Cunningham's studio. That's awesome. Uh, so that's how I met Teddy. Yeah, that's awesome. And then Teddy visited our church and it always had a heart because he grew up in an all-black church. I grew mm -hmm. up in an all-white church. He had a heart for multi-ethnic ministry. So on a we had a meeting one night and I told our team, I said, guys, we need to pray for God to bring us. Yes. Somebody that's not white to help us lead. That's awesome. And the that was all a part of this, your yeah. intentionality. So and intentionality, being able. that yeah, was a big that. piece of it. Uh, so God brought Teddy, mm -hmm. that elevated because then our church began to feel very different. And that's the second thing was, you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, because what most people say when they say multi-ethnic or multicultural church, what they really mean is multicolored. Yep. 
They want different colors of people, mm-hmm. but they still want the church to function predominantly in one culture, yeah. either whether it be a black church, yep. Hispanic church, white yep. church culture, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have a multi-ethnic church, like for example, I grew up in an all-white church where you went at 11, you ended at 12. When you walked in at 11, they gave you a list of exactly what was going to be done down to the the, the different hymns, not just the number, yeah. but which verses we were going to sing. Yes. So we knew when the song was going to be over. Teddy grew up in a church where they went at 11. They might go to a three. Yes. And he's not only not going to tell you how many times he's going to sing a song, he's just going to sing that song as many <laughs> times. So yes. Teddy starts leading worship in our mm-hmm. church. I'm used to first, second, last stanza. Mm-hmm. And Teddy, I don't even know when he's going to be done, yeah. you know. So that's uncomfortable. Yeah. But when you allow for that discomfort, what I've learned in sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of God in worship from Teddy and what Teddy's learned from me in other areas has made both of us better husbands, better fathers, better pastors, yeah, better leaders. There's a beauty of the diversity. But do you feel like a lot of times we don't, you have to be secure as a leader to be able to feel even uncomfortable because a lot of times as leaders, we don't want to feel that uncomfortableness because that might bring out all my insecurities and I don't want you to see me as being insecure. Yeah. And so I'm going to stay in my lane. And, For sure. You know, and so how, I mean. But that gets back to identity, yeah. you know, and that's one of the biggest problems in the lives of church planners and pastors today. And that's, they got an identity issue. Their identity is wrapped up in what they do and not in who they are in Christ. And if we're who we are in Christ and we're comfortable to be who we are in Christ, then you can allow some discomfort in some of those areas of leadership. Yeah. It's okay because at the end of the day, this isn't my church, it's, it's the Lord's church. And we can trust the Holy Spirit That's good. to control that. So that uncomfortability, yep. then there was this thing of ownership. Okay, You have to begin to allow multiple cultures to own vision, strategy, and philosophy at every level. Yeah, So huge. you can't just have a few people on leadership to diversify your team. They've got to be speaking into the highest level of how we do church, why we do church, what it looks like to accomplish the mission. That's good. Uh, and then the fourth thing is prayer. Yeah. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. Yes. And there's something about prayer that unites us. So is it, I mean, what are you praying? Are you praying specifically about something or are you just getting together in prayer? I, I think the, the missing link of church in North America is corporate prayer. Yeah. Uh, Acts 6-4, the apostle said, we'll devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The definitive article in the Greek is in both. It's mm-hmm. the prayer and the ministry of the word. Yeah. Most pastors think it's, I need to pray so I can preach the word. Mm-hmm. But it's there saying, we're going to lead the church in a corporate ministry of the word, the word and a corporate ministry of prayer. And here's the thing. You can go to any country in the world and you go visit their prayer meeting and you'll be comfortable mm-hmm. because prayer transcends culture. Yeah. Everybody prays. Some are louder than others, but everybody prays the same. Yeah. And so there's something that's unifying about prayer and also the principle that when we pray, God moves in response to the prayers yeah. of his people. Got pushed back a little bit. Sometimes because yep. when yep. I was, um, I get the prayer and everything and, I, and I'm, I'm 100%, I'm, thank you for helping me because I'm going to give, hey, Pastor Vance, and I'll, I'll mm. give you credit once or twice, but after that, I'm done. <laughs> you I'm heard saying, that from JD. This, this, yeah, <laughs> so this is basically, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna say, listen, here's the four things. But when, when it comes to kind of prayer and even the, I noticed because I came up, I wasn't raised in the church, but then my first couple of years, I was at a cogent church and, huh. you know, and, and when I was at the beginning, everybody was praying at the same time. Yep. But then when I came to kind of the white evangelical circles, it was like one person prayed yep. and they prayed. And I was just like, this is confusing, yep. you know, as a person who wasn't raised in the church. So yep. 
how do like there there is a kind of these principles but when you think about the application yep. how did you begin to overcome so you talked about even how you do service because you can yeah. say we all worship but we worship different we right. all pray but we pray different yeah. we all you know and so then some of those can be culturally driven right so i mean i think that gets to kind of your uncomfortable kind of it is um thing but like how do we not kind of force kind of assimilation because it seems like whoever's the top, yeah, you know, because if again another, if I had another dime to say, hey, help me diversify, yeah, but I don't really want to change anything. They won't say that, yep. But this, I really don't want to change much. But I need you to help me diversify. How do you overcome that? You know, this idea of we need to unify, but there's always going to be some type of dominant culture, yeah, that that we have. Or do you just every week, well, this week is going to be this, next week we're going to be this, next week. I mean, how do you wrestle with that tension? Yeah, great question. You know? The way I respond to that, Dottie, is if it's biblical, it's cross-cultural. Right. The Bible wasn't written for white people or black people. The Bible wasn't written for North America or for Europe. The Bible was written for the peoples of the earth. Yeah. And so if it's biblical, <clears throat> it's cross-cultural. There's a lot of what we do in the way we worship that is more cultural than biblical. And so it's about all of these cultures together pressing into what is biblical methodology for the church. And right. that's been one of the things that's helped me tremendously coming to Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. I had to ask questions I'd never asked before. Right. Because where I come from, everybody did church the same way just because it's the way we'd always done it. Yes. But we'd never had church. Yeah. So I had to go back to, okay, what does the Bible say they did when they gathered? <clears throat> what did it look like in scripture when they came together? And so we try to scripturally, as close as we can, methodologically live out what scripture teaches. At times in scripture, you, you see people praying individually. At times in scripture, you see people all praying together. And so at our church, some weekends, uh, every weekend I carve out an eight to 10 minute right in the middle of the service. I step up in the middle of a worship set and I lead the church in corporate prayer. Yeah. Some weekends, it's everybody praying at once. Some weekends I put a scripture up on the screen and we let scripture guide our yeah, prayer. Some weekends good. it's pair up and pray. This weekend that's it was good. come to the altar and pray. It, it's going to look, but it's we try to make sure that it's biblical and driven by biblical methodology and multiple cultures speaking into so that there is expression. So yeah, some weeks you'll show up here and our church will feel much more black gospel. Mm -hmm. Other weeks it'll feel much more passion, hill song, you know, it, but... Other weeks, we'll sing in multiple languages. We'll yeah. sing in different songs in different languages. So, so that goes to your intentional It's intentional thing. about multiple cultures speaking in. But here's what you got to have with that. That gets back to the discomfort. Freedom so that I may be in a service where I'm leading, and it's one of those where I'm having everybody pray individually, but we have freedom. So there may be a brother or sister from another culture that just wants to pray out loud. Yes. And we've created a freedom where, okay, you can do that. Yeah. We may be having a worship set that feels more like being at a passion thing, but we may have some of our brothers and sisters in the Middle East that want to wave banners. So we've just created a freedom where that's what, if it's genuine, there's a freedom. And if others are going to be uncomfortable with that, then we're okay with discomfort. That's good. No, I appreciate it. Thanks. Mm.